0: Hey Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the UTG Podcast Network. Thank you for checking in. As always, I'm your host Kyle Russell here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Apologies to start off if I sound a little off today. In particular, I'm not quite feeling a hundred percent, a little under the weather, but I can at least scrounge up enough energy to get on and talk a little bit about Miami Heat basketball I can at the very least always do that. And it's a good episode to record for the most part really outside of just my my health at the moment cuz yeah, 3-0 week for Miami. Um although actually I guess uh, there's the, the the trade talk we have to talk about in the middle part. And then as usual we'll we'll look ahead towards next week's games uh Even though it's a little bit of a short week, we have the All-Star break coming up this week. And then next week, you know, we get back and it will be post-All-Star break. So then we'll talk about that then. But as usual, let's start out looking at last week's games. A 3-0 week for Miami with wins over the Pacers, Rockets, and Magic. Not quite the murderer's row uh, relative to some of the other teams in the league. But stay 3-0 week. And especially, again, like we've been saying all season, you take every single win you can with this Heat team. We started at the bottom of the East and have just slowly but surely worked our way up to where we're at now. And it's been on the backs of weeks like this, right? Like, hey, you don't have the the best competition coming up. Just win. Win, keep stacking them, and keep moving on up. But... Let's go through as we usually do game by game. We'll go back to last Wednesday. The Heat won hosting the Indiana Pacers, winning 116-111. to In a game that the Heat would be without Kyle Lowry, uh, they would end up being without Kyle Lowry through the rest of the week, listed out due to knee uh, injury, but we'll come back to talk about that a little bit later on as well. Also, Heat without Victor Oladipo, who's been low-key missing quite a few games over the last, uh, I'd say probably a week or two. Uh, another week of missed games here coming up for Oladipo. So Spolstra went with an eight-deep rotation. You know, you, you move Gabe Vincent to the starting lineup to take over for Kyle Lowry. Uh, Max Struz kind of becomes your six man. And then, as usual, you have Orlando Robinson, the backup five, and uh, Haywood Highsmith. Whenever the rotation gets really thin, Haywood Highsmith can get himself some good minutes as the backup, I guess, <laughs> wing in an eight-man rotation. But for the game itself... Surprisingly a game that the heat did not start in a hole unlike the previous week where every single game they started in a hole but this one the heat did not instead actually putting the paces in a hole on a 14 to 0 run in the first to be up 39 to 30 Going into the second quarter of particular gave Vincent and Tyler Hero accounted for most of the points in the run and 20 of Miami's 39 points in the first quarter. So great start for the backcourt for Miami, you know, minus uh, Lowry with Vincent in place of Lowry. Then, as we got into the second, Pacers got themselves back into the game, eventually taking a three-point lead going into halftime. The third quarter itself, Jimmy and Bam scored Miami's first 15 points in the third to keep them afloat. That was about halfway through the third quarter that they uh, notched those 15. Keeping them uh, the Heat tied with the Pacers... Before, the Heat actually pulled away just a little bit, going up six, going into the fourth. So just to give you this idea of it was definitely a game that ebbed and flowed. Miami started out really big. Pacers came back to take a small lead. Heat pushed back, take the lead, back (laughs) going into the fourth. Then the fourth quarter itself, the Pacers pushed really hard like seriously this as this usually been the case for all miami games they cannot win in blowouts they cannot lose in blowouts they can only play close games but heat doing just enough to keep the pacers at bay and then finishing the last i want to say six or seven points at the free throw line down the stretch to close out the win Still ended up being only a five-point win. So, again, Miami can only play close games. But takeaways for the game. Uh, Jimmy Butler, 25 points, five rebounds, seven assists with one steal, nine of 18 from the field, seven of eight from the free-throw line. But what was interesting is all five of those rebounds were offensive rebounds, where Jimmy was leading the way on the offensive rebounds for the Heat that night. The Heat themselves finishing with 15 offensive rebounds. So... Jimmy leading the way in what was a really great stat for Miami that night. Fifteen offensive rebounds is a lot. That's a lot of extra possessions. Uh, oh yeah, Jim Butler also finishing with a team high plus eleven. Can't can't uh, neglect that. Next major takeaway: Bam Adebayo yet again showing why he deserved the All Star nod. Thirty eight points, nine rebounds, three assists with one steal, going twelve to sixteen from the field. 14 of 14 from the free throw line. So doing even better at the line than Jimmy did. And just continuing to be a steady two-way all-star presence for Miami. Again, no knock to Jimmy, but at Jimmy's age, it can kind of come and go depending upon the game or the point of the season. For Bam, like Bam's still reaching his primes. This is just, just about every night for him now. And last major takeaway for this game, again, it's a game that the Heat had to find some sort of margin to win on because though they did have, like I mentioned the earlier part where they got out on, on a really good run over the course of the game, um, this was another bad three point shooting game. They shot 32% from three, which is sadly enough a little bit better than they usually do. Usually it's around 30, but the big problem here was volume only going six of 19 from the field. They made six three pointers in the year of our Lord, 2023, in this modern era of basketball, post-three-point revolution, and they won the game on top of it. That's the most phenomenal part. Like, I could see a team only making six three-pointers, but not also winning the game. That's that's an absurd stat. That could probably be up there for, like, some kind of trivia thing, maybe. But how did they still win this game despite only making six three-pointers, free throws. Going 36 of 39 from the free throw line with all those extra possessions that they got from the offensive rebounds. So, like, like I've I've mentioned this before. There have been games where Miami will win, whether it's by having way more field goal attempts through a combination of rebounding and winning the turnover battle. Uh, Tonight, not so much the case. Tonight was was more so the case where the extra possessions Miami was getting was going towards more free throws, which obviously if you get fouled, um, unless you actually make the basket, it doesn't count towards a field goal attempt. So, if you think about it this way, Miami still had their usual thing where they have a bunch of extra possessions. In this case, they got those extra possessions from the rebounding margin, especially the offensive rebounding. But rather than all those extra offensive rebounds go towards field goal attempts, they just went towards free throws instead. So, kind of the same result. Essentially, the Heat, though they don't have the most efficient offense, they were able to find a way to just out just out attempt the opponent. Um, and that, that has been consistent throughout the last few weeks. So that wraps up that game. We go next to last Friday where the Heat would win hosting the, uh, Houston Rockets 97 to 95. Very close game. Also game, the Heat would be without Lowry and Oladipo. So instead of just going with the eight man rotation from before, they extended it to nine by bringing in 10 day, uh, a guard on a 10 day contract, uh, I'm glad we're going to butcher this. I'm sorry. Jamari Bouye. I think that was how it was pronounced. Uh, So that, with him, that got the roster to nine-man for the night, which is great because this was a back-to-back. They had a game Friday, they had a game Saturday. Going eight deep when you have a back-to-back, especially strenuous. So even though it was only like 10, 11, 12 minutes that Bouye ended up playing in, in both these games, it's still significant just because the amount of rest it got the other players on the roster, which then... Led to these wins. Now, back to the Rockets game, though. A uh, close game, really, overall, from start to finish. No team ever really got too far ahead. I think the biggest margin I wanted to say was Miami in the first quarter by seven, eight, nine, somewhere in there. But from like first, second quarter onward, the margin was maybe five points. Again, to to give the idea of like a very close game. And on the one hand, that's not typically something you want to do with a younger team like the Rockets. It's, It's the idea of you let this team hang around, you let a young team hang around long enough and they can eventually find an edge to push just because they tend to be younger, more athletic, and then the doors open, they feel hopeful, then they start going for it. Conversely, I don't know if there's a team in the league that is more experienced and knows how to Deal with stuff in close situations than Miami at the very least for the experience part. Like no team in the league has been in as mi- as has been in as many close games as Miami, and like I already mentioned, they ended up winning this game still. So thankfully it didn't come back to bite them, um, hang letting the Rockets hang around too long. What it did come down to at the very end, and this is where Miami has shown, shined, shown in these close games is their ability to execute down the stretch at the end of this game it is tied at 95 with literally less than a second 0.7 seconds on the clock that's enough for a lob maybe a catch and shoot if you like hit the dude perfectly in the shooting pocket and they can just go right up into it instead we went with the first part uh, Eric Spolstra drawing up a really great out of balance play that just has the Rockets confused and pretty much gives Jimmy Butler a wide open lane to run towards the basket. Caleb Martin just chucks it up. It's perfect for Jimmy. It literally takes .4 of a second for him to catch that ball and flush it in to put Miami up ninety seven to ninety-five. With point three of a second left, the Rockets didn't even bother. They did they were without timeouts at that point, so they, they had no chance. But again, just to say that, like, it came down to the execution at the end. This could have gone to overtime, and overtime can always go either way. Instead, Miami just executed with less than a second to go and still had time to spare. So, impressive in that part. As for takeaways from this game, uh, a very ugly game overall, even though it was close. Uh, both teams were shooting around 42%. And it's just one that Miami managed to outlast. Again, this team can't win big, can't win big, can't lose big. They just managed to stay right in the middle. Uh, But They have shown the ability to win those games over and over and over and over, and that continues to just be a takeaway every time it happens for me. It's it's incredibly impressive. I've heard Bill Simmons refer to the heat as, like, the zombie heat, and I do think that's very appropriate uh, from the standpoint of you got to kill us, bury us, pour concrete over the grave, otherwise we're going to dig our way out. But other takeaways from this game. Tyler Hero finishing with 31 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, 1 steal and 1 block on 11 of 20 from the field, 5 of 10 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line. Just cooked the Rockets, especially down the stretch, a little bit similar to what he did last time. And it should be mentioned, um, maybe Tyler Hero has a bit of an edge specifically against this construction of the Rockets team. The la- The only other time we played them was Tyler Hero's record-setting a career setting 40 was it 41 43 point night something like that. It was a career high for him. And it came against the Rockets and then conversely here he has a really good performance against the Rockets again. Maybe there's something there that he keys on on and can hopefully be a spark towards, you know, another great run. Like post that Rockets game, Tyler Hero had a pretty great run until the the injury in the Nets game that kind of derailed it a little bit. Uh so maybe We'll get a little bit back to that now. Last takeaway for this game, though, Jimmy Butler just being a gamer again. 16 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 1 block on 4 of 11 from the field, 8 of 8 from the free throw line. Legitimately not a great Jimmy Butler stat line. Like, 16, like, not great, not efficient, uh, not, like, he got a little bit of everything. Sure, got some block steals, a little bit of everything. Finished under 20 points, though, but it doesn't matter. Jimmy Butler is not here for flashy stats or, or anything of that sort. He's only here for one stat in particular, and that's what happens in the win-loss column. And in that sense, Jimmy Butler did what needed to be done, even down to what I mentioned earlier, a game-winning dunk off of a really great out-of-bounds play. Another W for the Miami Heat and Jimmy Buckets. After this, we the Miami would then go on the road in a back-to-back up north a little bit to Orlando to play the Orlando Magic in a game where they won at Orlando in overtime, 107 to 103. As with the previous two games, the Heat would be without Lowry and Oladipo, and would be this would be another game for Bouye to help round out the nine-man rotation. The game itself was closer to the usual script for Miami, getting themselves into a 16-point hole by about halfway through the second quarter that you know started from the beginning of the game, and then it peaked in the second quarter. And then from there, Miami did what they started usually doing. Um, this is a par- particularly interesting game for me. Just uh, I was watching this with my best friend, who's an Orlando Magic fan, as well as uh, my cousin and his friend, and they were starting to get bored of this. And I was like, no, 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 no. The Heat are going to come back. This is what they do. They dig themselves a hole. They're going to get it under 10 by halftime. They're going to make up some progress in the third. And then they're going to get... Uh, they're going to rally themselves in the fourth to make this a game. And it was pretty much by the numbers <laughs> from, from that point on. So Heat down 16. They get it down to eight by halftime. There you go. It's under 10 by halftime. The third quarter itself... The Heat did get as close as one. They got the deficit almost there. They almost tied it up. Magic, to their credit, able to pull away a little bit. However, Magic only went into the fourth quarter with a seven-point lead. They entered the third with an eight. They finished. They left with a seven. I still consider that uh, making up grounds in the third, so I consider that prediction uh, still a win. And then the fourth quarter itself, Magic able to keep their distance, Still up nine with two and a half minutes left before Miami rallied hard, tying up the game and sending it to overtime. Again, three for three there. The only thing I didn't predict was going to overtime. But in the overtime itself, he took the lead to start overtime and didn't look back, eventually securing the win 107 to 103. Takeaways for this one. First of all, really interesting. Um, best friend pointed this one out. This is a game that Miami did not lead until overtime. The Magic took the lead at the start of the game. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the Heat got as close as one in the third, but never took the lead. Not even in the fourth when they were rallying did they actually take the lead. They merely only tied the game. They didn't actually take it until overtime, which just, just feels very Miami to get put into a big hole, scrape and claw, and by the thinnest of margins still find a way to win the, win a game. Um, other takeaways, Bam Adebayo, not his best offensive night, but still 13 points, 17 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 1 block on 5 of 10 from the field, 3 or 4 from the free throw line. But really it's the combination of the efficiency, it's like 5 of 10, like he still was an efficient scorer, he just wasn't able to get the volume up. But also the 16 defensive, re- 16 of his 17 rebounds were defensive, which just helped to end a lot of magic possessions, especially down the stretch to secure, again, overtime and then eventually the win. And then lastly, takeaway, Gabe Vincent finishing with 20 points, 2 rebounds, 2 assists on 6 of 12 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3-point range, 4 of 4 from the free throw line, and in specific... Ten of his of those twenty points coming between the fourth and overtime, part of the rally, part of the overtime win. Uh, Gabe Vincent doing a good job stepping up while Kyle, Kyle Lowry has been out, and we've seen this in years past. Vincent has done a pretty solid job of being like a spot starter, but games like this is when you start to think maybe he could be more than just a spot starter. Maybe we don't quite need Kyle Lowry as much. I don't know if I'm, if I'm quite there yet, but like I see the arguments and there's growing evidence for that argument. Overall, though, if you we, we take uh, take a step back and look throughout the week, this is a 3-0 week that keeps Miami in the sixth seed with the All-Star break coming up with a 32-25 and overall record. Still well above five hundred, still pretty securely in a playoff spot. I really can't complain too much about that. Moving on, though. So that was the good part, uh, talking about the games from last week. Now we're going to do the bad part of the pod, which uh, about the best way I can describe this is a much-needed reality check following a very disappointing trade deadline. So if you follow the heat, probably fairly know that Miami did not do anything really significant for the trade deadline outside of getting Dwayne Deadman off the roster. But even that required a second-round pick to the San Antonio Spurs to pull that off, which, side note, second-round picks became oddly important. Like, 5-6 were getting traded at a time for certain stuff. But I digress. Main point here, though, is talking about Miami and the lack of moves that they did at the trade deadline. And what does that mean for this Heat team this year? First off, I do want to say that when it comes to the trade deadline, I legitimately don't think it was a lack of effort on Miami's part to try to get trades done. As I've repeatedly said, I I said this last week in previous weeks, previous pods, whatever. I'm not the only one that says this too. Trades require two teams. Miami could sit there and bat their eyes as much as they want. No other team wants to take their offer. No trades are going to happen. I personally, I think that's what ended up happening here. It was not about a lack of effort from Miami, but more so a lack of assets or perceived value of their assets. So what does that mean? Well, that means like, again, like I've said before, the Heat's picks aren't terribly valued across the league. An unprotected Miami pick in 2027 or 2028, for example, does not have the same value as, say, a Lakers or a Knicks pick in 2027, 2028. Those two franchises suck. Lakers get an exception just because they're in L.A. and they can attract players off of that. But point there being, though, is team, in general, teams will want picks from Lakers and Knicks versus picks from the Heat. Because the Lakers and Knicks will typically suck and the Heat are typically not sucking. So, you know, therefore, an, un- an unprotected pick doesn't mean anything if you're fairly sure it's going it's to be in the teens or the 20s anyway, kind of thing. So, Miami picks, not terribly valuable. Miami players, uh, the only ones they were really offering were ones like Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Dwayne Dedman, and we already saw Dwayne Dedman was so undervalued that it literally cost assets to get off of him. Victor Oladipo, well, too injured. Teams might not want to value him. Caleb Martin a little bit, playing on a position, but of one of the few legitimately valuable assets the Heat have, and therefore they cannot burn that on just any willy-nilly move. And then you get to the big ones in the room, Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson. Uh, teams want picks to get off of those contracts like Deadman. So rather than these being valuable players, worse stuff... Um, it seems that the rest of the league just went, no, we actually want stuff to, to help you out. In that situation, Miami actually is doing the right thing, not giving up assets just to get off of bad contracts. You can just wait those out, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. So... Uh, digression for that, but again, I just wanted to emphasize that I don't think this is any lack of effort on the front office. If you want to blame the front office for anything, maybe for the contracts that were given out, maybe for some of the deals in previous years, uh, eh. I mean, conversely, this is still an organization that has put Miami in, in the finals in 2020 and really damn close to the finals in 2022. This is still overall an insanely successful front office. They just, you know, it. the bill came due, this trade deadline, and, uh, yeah, Miami was without any options. So, now that that's done, what does that mean for the Heat for this year? And I will just be blunt right off from the start, the Heat are not title contenders as far as I'm concerned. Sure, maybe... Maybe uh, all the the bad shooting from this year (laughs) regresses to the mean, and Miami averages 40% from three from here on out. They move themselves up the standings, and off the back of that in their defense, they actually make a run for it. Sure, I could technically see it happening. I just do not see it as probable at all. At this point in the season, the Heat just are not a good three-point shooting team, and it looks like last year was the aberration, not this year. So short of that... Turning out to be the opposite. The, this Heat team does not is not a title contender. They they simply do not have enough offensive py- firepower to get it done. They'll grind teams down. Like they'll get into the playoffs and they're gonna make it tough. There'll be a tough first, second round exit. But that's about where the ceiling is. Cause like the the whole goal for the trade deadline was to get a power forward so that way Caleb if you kept Caleb, could move to the bench, you can have a better power forward, have a little more size, and when you get into the playoffs, especially in the East when you're going up against a Bucks team with Giannis and Brooke Lopez and a Sixers team with Joel Embiid and, to a lesser degree, Tobias Harris or P.J. Tucker, like, you need size in the front court. Bam can't just defend Embiid and Giannis and Brooke and everybody else Well, not fouling <laughs> out of the game and still producing on the offensive end. It's just it's too much of a load for any one player to bear, even for someone like Bam. So no power forward upgrade to me means that eventually they're just gonna get beat with size in the playoffs. That's why I say first, second round exit seems about the ceiling. I'm confident in that analysis. I'm fairly sure the heat are confident in that analysis. That's why they went and tried to push to get a power forward upgrade and they simply couldn't so without that upgrade there's an exploitable hole on this team and if anything about the last few playoffs have taught us like us being the basketball viewing audience is that if the playoffs are about exploiting holes and advantages in your opposing team and it's just about who can exploit the other team's holes more than the other uh, phrasing i guess but point that remains um The truth is, I see it, the Heat are not winning a title this year. So, like most truths in life, you have a choice of, what do you do with it? You can't ignore it, so instead, what can you do with it? How can you lean into it? How can you turn that to your advantage? So, the Heat aren't winning a title this year, but that doesn't mean they can't win one next year, or the following year, or the year after that. So, if this year's put, then it needs to be about building for the next few years and trying to get back to contention later on. So what does that mean for the Heat for the rest of this season, then? It means things like keeping Jimmy healthy. If he's legitimately injured, let him have this rest. The worst thing that could happen for this Heat team would be something like a year-long injury happening to Butler in late March, early April that would take him out most of next season as well. That would be absolutely catastrophic. Again, because this year's already done, and that would pretty much kill next year. Because Jimmy would be coming back way late in the season. Who knows how Miami would look like by then, blah, 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 blah. So keep Jimmy healthy this year. He is your playoff performer. You need him around in future years, especially considering his ascension is about to kick in in the summer. It also means, as far as I'm concerned, you actually do want to play Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson to a degree. Again, the thing that came out of the trade deadline was how other teams were going to Miami. And and rather than being like, hey, you know, Duncan Robinson's a pretty good shooter. Maybe he just needs a change of scenery. Again, that was the pitch that I was trying to make. If if I'm the Miami Heat, you try to sell other teams on that. Hey, try to get Duncan Robinson into your place. Give him a change of scenery. See how he does for you. Instead, these teams are going, sure, we'll do that. And we'll also take some picks because that's a really long contract. So Duncan's perceived value is now so low, and it makes sense. He pretty much has fallen out of Miami's rotation, and he's still making a pretty significant amount of money that other teams view him more as a liability than necessarily an asset. So if you can try to get Duncan Robinson to play a little bit over these next few months, maybe try... Again, we've seen this before where post-trade deadline, Duncan has tended to play better now that he has the burden of being traded off of his shoulders, That ain't going away anytime soon though, bro. But if you can psych yourself into thinking that and can shoot from 40% from three through the rest of the year, well, then we can go into the off season and Duncan looks less like a liability, more like an asset. And same kind of thinking for Kyle Lowry as well. Although it will be a little bit easier with Lowry because um, in this summer he will be a massive expiring contract for for the following summer and massive expiring contracts are a little bit easier to deal to trade just because you can try to target a team that maybe wants to free up money off their books for a rebuild uh, as an example or to chase a free agent or or something like that. So Kyle Lowry a little bit easier to get off than, say, a Duncan Robinson, but the main idea for those two is still the same. You want to play them a little bit, you want to make sure that they look great, and you want to try to recoup some of their trade value for the offseason. So, Jimmy Healthy, recoup value for Lowry and Duncan, and then lastly, start looking at your young players. Bama Adebayo has taken a step forward this year, was legitimately deserving of being All-Star. Tyler Hero has taken a step forward from six men of the year last year to... Uh, you know, he's had some fluctuations, but I would say at worst, a quality starter, which is still impressive nonetheless. And then there have been the very few flashes, but I at least I saw enough to be intrigued by Nikola Jovic, who is definitely a developmental project and did have a back injury that uh, kept him out for, uh, what, about a five weeks or so? But flashed some promise, has a lot of size, is still really young and could become something uh, with a little bit more playing time. I would even go as far as to say, move Martin back to the bench and and start Jovic. Again, like, what do you really have to lose? Martin's on a multi-year contract. Could probably be good to have him come off the bench instead to help keep him healthier as well. There have been injury concerns for him as the starting four all year. Jovic gets some playing time. What, you, you drop some games in a year that you weren't a title contender anyway? Meh. It may actually be more useful to see what you have on of Jovic now, see if you can jumpstart that development, or maybe see if you can up his value as a trade asset to, to be used in the summer. Either way, it's all positive. So as I see it, you bring Jovich up from the G League and you start giving him at least rotation minutes to see what you have there. So see what you have with Tyler, Bam, and Jovich because those three, if Jovich pops as well, could be your core in a post-Jimmy Butler uh, era. Or positive contributors towards a title contention next year. So, yeah, uh, a little pessimistic after the trade deadline. I do, I do think it's more realistic because, again, the... The the holes were there. They've been there all year long. The Heat have been scraping together wins with the hope that reinforcements would come at the trade deadline. Those reinforcements never came. So the Heat's title winner for this year is closed as I see it. Let's start working towards next year. Moving on. As usual, let's take a look at the standings before we look at the injuries and then what's coming up ahead for Miami this week. So looking at the standings, again, we just focus on teams that are a few games above, a few games below Miami, because that's just where we care about on a week-to-week basis. So currently in the East, fourth place is the Cleveland Cavaliers, four games ahead of Miami. They've gone 8-2 and two in the last 10, which, uh, and on top of that, like a six-game win streak, which good for the Cavs, because uh, that was the whole thing in January that they were going like pretty much 500 throughout. Just Miami couldn't quite capitalize to catch up on them. Uh, fifth place is the Nets, 1.5 games ahead of Miami. They're 4-6 and six in their last 10, and the Nets could drop even further. Uh, we're under a rock for the trade deadline, which I don't know how you did that for Miami, but not for Brooklyn. The big news being that the Brooklyn Nets are essentially moving towards what could be a rebuild. Well, that could be almost certainly a rebuild. They traded away Kyrie Irving. They traded away Kevin Durant. They got a whole bunch of stuff back. And they are now primed in a way to go down the standings, which was, is beneficial towards Miami because if they can leap the Nets, then that gets them even more in the playoffs and maybe potentially gets them a chance to take a fourth seed in home court in the first dep- first round, depending upon what happens with Cleveland. But for now, the Nets are the team that looks vulnerable and looks like you could take their spot. Uh, sixth place right now, the Heat, 7-3 and three in their last 10. Uh Three-game win streak last week felt pretty great. Seventh place is the Knicks, a game and a half behind Miami, so we made a little bit of separation off of them. Knicks still 6-4 and in their last 10. They had some uh, good trades come their way over the trade deadline. They, like, this could be a situation where the Nets drop down into the play-in and the Heat and Knicks uh, move up into those 5-6 and seeds. Eighth place right now, the Hawks. Three games behind Miami, five and five in their last 10. Hawks just staying right in the middle. Ninth place, the Wizards moving up a little bit. Five games behind Miami, seven and three in their last 10. And then 10th place, just to round out the play in tournament, the Raptors, five and a half games back of Miami, six and four in their last 10. So again, Miami just slowly grinding week by week. They're getting closer to the fourth seed. Then they are even the ninth seed. So we'll take that as a, po- a step in the right direction. Moving on to the injury watch. There has been no update on uh, Omir Yurtseven since the end of January. He was cleared for high-impact work have not heard anything about that since. It'll be interesting to see over the next few weeks if we get any updates on Yurt and how that could impact the potential signing of Orlando Robinson. Because again, part of the reason why you eventually moved Deadman to San Antonio was to open up a roster spot for maybe an Orlando Robinson to be your backup center. Well, maybe that could be Yurt 7 if he comes back and looks good. We'll have we'll, But that we'll have to see how we go. Then Duncan robinson nikola jovic, and kyle lowry have all been listed out at least through the all-star break i think that makes sense you don't necessarily want to just throw them in right before the all-star break there's only two games left just let them rest for that it'll be fine then post all-star break again you talk about hey duncan let's get you some minutes so that we can try to recoup some value hey lowry let's do the same come on we want to move you over the summer jovic time to see what you can do that all can happen after All-Star break. Uh, next on the injury watch. Apparently Orlando Robinson's related to Wolverine. He's, he fractured his thumb not even two weeks ago, and it was supposed to be like a three- or four-week injury. It's not even on the injury report anymore. So props to that, dude. He, that is, again, an example of what the Heat like. A, a guy that just grinds, tries hard, pushes through, and I just hope that he gets rewarded for his effort. And then last on the injury report, these are more just short-term injuries because they're only listed for Monday. Uh, Victor Oladipo out with ankle. So, again, Oladipo still missing games. Uh, Bam Adebayo questionable for Monday. Tyler Hero doubtful for Monday. And that kind of makes sense for me mainly from the standpoint of the Monday game is against the Denver Nuggets and the Wednesday game is against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Denver Nuggets are in the opposite conference. You can lose to them. And it's fine. Like It still goes in the lost column, sure, but it's not the end end of the world thing. The Brooklyn Nets game on Wednesday, though, especially considering that's the game that, that's right above them, I could see them resting players on Monday to make sure they're ready for that Wednesday game. That's all for injuries, so we look ahead to next week of games. Only two games this week, like I mentioned. One home game tonight against the Denver Nuggets. One road game at the Brooklyn Nets on Wednesday. And then, heat done for the All-Star break. They have a week off, get rested, get recuperated, maybe do a little practice, or just enjoy the festivities of it. Again, All-Star weekend's a lot of fun. Bam will be in the All-Star game, as he was deservedly so. I don't know off the top of my head if anybody else is going to be in in, any of the major events. But right now, the only one I care about was was Bam at the All-Star game. I'm looking forward to that. But before we get there, we got those two games left to do this week. So, first up, the Miami Heat will be hosting the Denver Nuggets tonight. This is the Denver Nuggets team that's currently first in the West, 39-18 overall record, 6-4 in their last 10. They've just been cruising all season long up at the top of the Western standings. This will be the last game of the season series against the Nuggets. Again, opposite conference, you only play each other twice. So the Heat are already down. They lost the only other game they played against the Nuggets. A late December loss at Denver, where I was actually surprised the Heat did as well as they did in that game. But nonetheless, uh, still a loss, unfortunately. For the game itself, though, in terms of injuries on the Nugget side, uh, Jamal Murray and Aaron Gordon listed as questionable for tonight's game. So maybe Denver also trying to do a little bit of the same. They look at this and they just go, eh, it's a Miami team in the opposite conference. We'll be fine without them. The Nuggets do have a sizable lead. Uh, again, second place in the West right now, so maybe a game that they want to work on their rest before the All-Star break. Hey, uh, sure, go for it. Let's make it a little bit easier. At the end of the day, though, Nikola Jokic is still playing, and perennial MVP, still up for his third MVP in a row, and it's a tough matchup. If we don't have Bam, I think we get smoked. Uh, even with Bam, it's still going to be difficult, just because Jokic's size and skill combination still give Bam some fits. He's one of the few players in the league that can give Bam fits, so another <laughs> example of how effing good Jokic is if a perennial defensive player of the year in Bam has uh, has struggles containing him. Overall, though, like I said, given the injury status for, for this game for both teams, actually, this just seems like a game that Miami is fine losing. They don't they're not necessarily thrilled about losing, or they go in losing, but it's a game that's like, hey, you know, if we if we rest Tyler and Bam and all these players, and we lose Monday, but we pick up the win on Wednesday, that's still a positive, a, a definite positive for the week. Because on Wednesday, the Heat will be at the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Nets team currently fifth in the East. We went over that a little bit ago. 33-23 overall record, four and six in their last ten, and there's a good chance that that could stay or get worse uh, depending upon the direction the Nets want to go post all-star break. But this is the second game in a best of three series season series with the Nets. The first game they lost, that was the beginning of January game where Durant and hero got hurt. Uh, Really a good inflection point. If you think about it, because that Brooklyn Nets team at the time was rolling and it was another unfortunate Durant injury that just derailed their season and now has derailed the course of their franchise with Irving getting out, Durant Lee uh, getting traded as well, and the Nets uh, looking towards a rebuild. And then on Miami side of things, um, Hero was looking great for a few weeks up until that injury. He got injured. He did also have a child, so maybe that's also affecting it. So between the injury and the lack of sleep from having a, a second child, uh, Hero had struggled to, to come back uh, to form since then, though... In recent games, it's it's getting in back in that right direction. Like I mentioned, 31 points against the Rockets looked great. Back to the preview, though. In terms of injuries, uh, Steph, uh, not Steph Seth Curry is out tonight for the Nets. No update if he'll be out Wednesday as well. That could be interesting. But the big thing for the Nets is just they traded away their core. And now it'll be questionable whether or not they'll be able to keep their their place in the standings. So for this one, though, this is definitely the one that the Miami wants to win. Just like we talked uh, in previous weeks, like with the Cavs matchup, it is imperative that you beat the teams ahead of you, Just especially the ones that's directly ahead of you. Those wins count double because you're also adding a loss to their loss column and shrinking the gap that much quicker. After that Nets game on Wednesday, then we will have the All-Star break, which only lasts a week, fortunately, though it is a week without basketball. That part sucks. But it only lasts a week. The season will resume the following Wednesday. So as usual, I'll have an episode out next Monday. We'll cover the Nuggets and Nets games this week, maybe talk a little All-Star break, what expectations could be post-All-Star break, uh, and then preview next week's uh, games as well once the season resumes. So, as usual, I thank you for hanging around and dealing with me with the sickness, though I was able to get some in- energy going uh, as I was doing this pod. That that part felt great. But that'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell off of Twitter. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball. As usual, links for everything are in the show notes. I'll be back next week. Until then, I hope you all have a good one. Heat Nation.